So to, today we have a very special service, and I mean special because we are looking to the future, we're looking to the past of what we've done together, what the Lord has done through you and I together, us together, as well as what we believe and put our faith to what He's going to do in the next calendar year here at Church of the Word. So, as many of you know, in July, the last weekend of the month, although this week we're doing it a week early, we have what we call our annual mission service. And, and if you remember in the past, we've played a sermon by Dan Betzer, and, and in the future sometime we'll play that sermon again. Uh, but tonight I'm not going to do that, I'm just going to share some things with you that the Lord has put on my heart, um, questions for our, us to ask ourselves and for us to examine ourselves. You know, examining ourselves is, is a gift, right? I would much rather examine myself than uh, be examined by you. Why? Because I know that I have my best interests in, in mind, right? But maybe your neighbor doesn't have your best interest in mind for you. And so it is a gift that the Lord has given to us to be able to examine oneself, judge oneself, and allow the Lord to minister in your heart and then make adjustments as, as we go forward. So a question that I have for you tonight, are you, are you an heir, like H-E-I-R, heir, like you're inheriting something, right? Are you an heir or a hireling? Let me say, let, let me ask it a different way, but coming to the same heart of the issue. Are you a bond slave or a love slave? And I know that most of us know the correct answer, right? Well, I'm an heir. I'm a son, right? So I'm an heir. I'm a love slave. And But more than just being able to check the box of saying the right answer, let's look at our motives and look at how we operate in life, how we function in our our day-to-day, in our week-to-week. And if we are in the wrong side of the equation, well, it's not that difficult to make an adjustment. Right? And to change it. So, what is a hireling? A hireling is a per, or a hired hand, okay? A hireling is someone who works for their pay. So, they do that usually with little to no concern for the value beyond what they're being paid. Um, let's say it a different way. The dictionary actually used this word. It said they're a mercenary that is only in it for themselves. I mean, that's part of the thing that's nice about being a hired hand somewhere is because the business owner, Levi knows, goes home, but his hours don't quit. He just has to keep right on going, right? The hired hand goes, puts his time in, goes home, and uh, has his weekend, Right? So there's benefits to being a hired hand, but we're talking about in serving the Lord, okay, and in working in the kingdom. And so a hireling is simply a, it's a trade. I trade my time for something that I want. So it's very self-centered, especially when it comes to kingdom mindset. What can I get out of it? That's, That's how a hireling treats it. And in fact, if you look over in John chapter 10, uh, Jesus was speaking about the good shepherd and he made this statement. He says in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, why would the good shepherd lay down his life for the sheep? Because he loves the sheep. That's the long and short of it. He loves them. Then he goes on and says, The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. So a hired hand, whenever it becomes risky or dangerous for them, they're going to run away. Right? It's too risky, too much exposure for myself. I don't want to be here. Again, don't hear this in the sense of your day-to-day job, because most of you are probably hired hands. I'm talking about in serving the Lord. Are we approaching our service to the Lord as someone who's just wanting to get something out of it? You know, because I came to the Lord that way. That, that's how I came to Him. I came to Him as a hireling because I wanted to uh, be paid. And the pay that I wanted was to escape hell and make it to heaven. So, in, it was kind of a selfish transaction that I entered into at first. In time, some things happened on the inside of me that I became, eventually I came to the place where I said, you know what, hell or high water, it doesn't matter. I serve Him because I love Him. Everything else comes after that, right? So, are we, are we hirelings? I hope not. Um, but sometimes, if you, if you treat the Lord, let's say it a different way, some people will serve the Lord their relationship with the Lord is more of a business transaction than it is a son-father relationship. Okay, are you understanding what I'm saying? So if we treat it like a business transaction, that would be the hireling. Alright, what is a bond slave? The word slave in Scripture is, you kind of have to read context to see what kind of slave is talking about. But a bond slave is someone who doesn't have a choice in the matter. Right? You're a slave. You were purchased... You're owned, and you don't have a choice in the matter, so you serve begrudgingly, or out of obligation, or condemnation, or guilt, or fear, only doing it because you have to. And I remember my mom used to say things to me like, would you wash the dishes? Do I have to? And then she would say, no, not if you want to. Right? So I would try to short circuit that thing and say, I want to, thanks. (laughs) Nope, nope, that's not how it works, right? If you want to, now you get to. See, Job, he, um, in the conversations that he was having with his friends, he compared hirelings to slaves or a bond servant, bond slave. And um, this, is, this is what the comparison he said. He said a slave longs for the shadow. In other words, for the shade. They're just looking towards quitting time. They're just looking forward to quitting time when they can go back to the cool of the evening or the shade or because they really don't have much else to look forward to. Because they're here against their choice, against their will. They have to do this. So in order to make it through this day, my reprieve is the shade. Whereas, he says, but like a hired hand is one who looks for his wages. So he's not longing for the shade. He's out there slaving away, all right. But it's because he's wanting paid for his 
work that he's doing. He's wanting something out of it. And you know, one of the ways that we would do this to the Lord is a trade is we want recognition. You're trading your service to Him for recognition. Or you're trading for, for thanks, right? Um, for example, if you helped in the VBS and your name wasn't mentioned and, and that offends you, you were in a trade, a hireling arrangement instead of serving because you love Him, Right? And so, I don't think anyone's here like that. I'm just trying to make it as simple as possible as we go through. So, a bond slave is someone that is compelled because they have to. A love slave, on the other hand, is someone who chooses to be the slave. Puts themselves in that position. And is a slave because I love my master. So, a love slave serves with a giving heart that's motivated by love rather than compulsion. They're not in it for themselves. Rather, they're in it for the good of another. You know, I think it was Paul said it this way. He said, you know, consider others as more valuable than yourself. He didn't say they are more valuable, right? But count them as though they were. And if we treated everyone else as more valuable than ourselves, I mean, what an amazing place. That's as close to heaven as you can get, right? Without actually being in heaven. In Luke 17, Jesus had this to say. I'll read verses uh, 7 through 10. It says, which one of you, having a servant... Okay, if you're reading, most modern translations are afraid of the word slave. And so they'll write servant. But the word is actually, when you read servant, it means slave. Plain and simple, slave, right? So, which one of you having a slave tending sheep or plowing will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? Instead, will he not tell him, prepare something for me to eat, get ready and serve me while I eat and drink, later you can eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did what was commanded? I don't think so. In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are worthless servants. We've only done our duty. Now, was Jesus calling them worthless servants? No. He was speaking about what their perspective ought to be. In other words, I'm last. And in our culture and society today, we hear a lot about self-care. A lot of that is selfishness, not all of it. Because the greatest form of self-care that you can give to yourself is spending time in fellowship with the Father. Because there's more rest, more peace, more strength that comes from that. If you want to care for yourself, do that. Right? And then you'll come out of that stronger and all of that stuff it's good to have vacations and and all of the other things but that's not our focus that can't be our focus because if that's our focus now we're living for self and if we live for self it just gets more miserable from there it's no road up so in the same way we should consider ourselves say hey we've only done our duty then there is an heir the one that inherits an heir start, starts out like a slave. That's what Galatians tells us. It says an heir is really no different than a slave in the beginning, when they're young, when they're real little. 
They just take orders and do what they're told and they don't get to make any choices of their own pretty much. Their way is very narrowed, <laughs> right? An infant, uh, everything is, is, yeah, they just follow orders. So an heir starts out like a slave, but as he spiritually matures or she spiritually matures, they transition into a love child and with a heart of a love slave. Still a child, still a son, but a love slave. You know, we've, we've said this often in this house, and it's not original with me, but we teach it, and that is that the greatest expression of love is giving. The greatest example of love, the greatest expression, the greatest action of love that you have at your disposal is to give. Give of yourself, give of your time, give of your finances. And in particular tonight, we're going to be talking about finances, right? We're talking about missions and sowing into missions locally and abroad. And so our finances reflect, they're a reflection of us. Your money takes on the characteristics of you. My money takes on the characteristics of me. Money isn't good or bad. It's not evil or good. It's just a tool. And it takes on the characteristics of the person who is holding it. Right? And so if money is evil, it's because you have a love of it. Not because the money itself is evil. Right? Scripture is very clear that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money is the root of all evil. It's the love of it. It's the greed. So, so don't confuse those two. So, an heir has a lot coming to him. Right? There's an inheritance coming. There's ownership in this thing. An heir may work without pay for a season. Because they're going to inherit it. I mean, the, the pay is coming. It's just they're not there trying to earn a paycheck. Because it all belongs to me. I was talking about the greatest expression of love. You know, John 3.16, the famous scripture, God so loved the world that He gave. God loved the world in this way so much that He gave. That was how He loved us. And so that's why we can confidently say it's the greatest expression of love. Turn in your Bible with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy 15, and let's look at verse 12. He is giving the Israelites instructions on dealing with slaves. There was a variety of reasons that people ended up in slavery back then. There's still a variety of reasons why slavery is still a modern day thing. It hadn't gone away. And um, I've been in places and countries where we've seen slaves. I've been part of groups where we've liberated slaves and pulled them off of the brick field and rescued them and all of that. So slavery is still alive and well, unfortunately, yet there's many reasons why people end up in that situation. Sometimes it's because they do not have the finances, both then and now, that they need so they sell themselves into servitude to someone else for maybe a period of time or years until... So that they're able to, for example, one family that I know of, they had a couple children and one of their children got sick with some sort of disease and and there was a a fix for it from the doctor, but it was expensive and they didn't have the money for it. So they sell themselves to the local brickyard to get the money 
to treat their child to save the child's life. Well, now that the child uh, received the treatment, is better, now they're all slaves to this brick owner, but the brick owner puts such crazy interest rates on it that they can never become free of it. So now they're just stuck there, right, as slaves. And so that's how things worked back long ago, too. And so here, they're giving some instructions in Deuteronomy 15, verse 12. He says, if your fellow Hebrew, a man or woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, you must set him free in the seventh year. And so you are not allowed to keep a slave beyond seven years. There had to be a limit to it, right? And when you agreed to pay for someone, you know, if someone needed help financially and you agreed to pay for that and they agreed to become your slave, it, the agreement cannot go beyond six years. It has to end then, so that people don't just wind up staying slaves. In verse 13, he says, When you set him free, do not send him away empty-handed. Give generously to him from your flock, your threshing floor, and your winepress. You are to give him whatever the Lord your God has blessed you with. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I am giving you this command today. But, verse 16, if your slave says to you, I don't want to leave you because he loves you and your family and is well off with you, take an awl and pierce through his ear into the door and he will become your slave for life. Also treat your female slave the same way. So you could decide that I'm, I want to be your slave for life because I love you, right? I want to stay with you. And so at that point, they would do the whole ear piercing thing, and now you could never be free. You're always going to be their, their love slave, and they can never sell you. It's a two-way transaction. It's a, it's a for, for life event, right? But they would choose to, to enter into this kind of slavery. You know, the disciples, in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, there's many scriptures that refer to believers as, if you're reading the King James, it'll say servants, but that word is slaves. There's many, it, we're, we're told to be slaves to each other, we're told to, uh, to be slaves to the Lord, I mean, all over, it's all slavery everywhere, <laughs> but not forced, right? There's a big difference between the bond slave and the love slave. One who is giving himself as a servant, as a slave, not as a hireling, not, not to trade something. You know, what does Galatians say? If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption from the flesh. In other words, your thanks eventually disappears. But if you sow to the Spirit, you reap from the Spirit. So if you just are trading, if you're just um, entering into agreements to serve your fellow believer because you want something back, it's has very limited benefit. <clears throat> the disciples, um, Paul, he introduced himself several times as a slave. In Romans 1.1, 1, 1, he, says, he says, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and singled out for God's good news. So he calls himself a slave. In Titus 1.1, 1, 1, he says the same thing. Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. In Philippians 1.1, he refers to himself and Timothy that way. He says, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. James, in James 1.1, says James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, 
In 2 Peter 1, 1 says, Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. John, in the book of Revelations, Revelation 1, 1, he's introduced that way, as well as all those who believe on the Lord. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his slaves was what must quickly take place. He sent it and signified it through his angel to his slave John. So, are you a bond slave or a love slave? Do you serve out of compulsion or because you love Him? You know, the Lord owns us several times over, right? He created us. So He has, he has ownership from that perspective. I mean, if you make something, if you draw, a, draw and, and create a painting, if you paint something, right? That painting belongs to you. You're the creator of it. No one else can claim it. It's yours. Well, He made us, so we belong to Him. But then, He says, alright, now you're on your own. He sets us free. But then He sends Jesus, buys us back, so owns us twice over now. But you're still not forced to serve Him. It still comes down to your choice to serve or not. To enter into that son, heir, love, slave relationship. Go over to Philippians chapter 2 and let's look at uh, how it says Jesus' example was. In Philippians 2 verse 5, it says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. So he's telling us, have the attitude of Jesus. You know, there are some things in Jesus' life that he did as our substitute that we don't imitate. And then there's other things He did as our example that we are to imitate. Well, His attitude was one of the things that we are to imitate. In verse 6, He says, Who, talking of Jesus, existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. In other words, he, just because He was God and in heaven, He didn't consider that fact to be something to use to His advantage. When He came as a human to the earth, He didn't use His Godship as a leg up on everything and everyone else. He goes on and says, instead He emptied Himself by assuming the form of a slave. Servant. Slave. Taking on the likeness of humanity, and when He had come as a man, He humbled Himself. Being a slave is humbling. Again and again in Scripture we're told, humble yourself. Don't humble your neighbor. Humble yourself. One of the ways you humble yourself is by being a slave. Slaving away for your neighbor. For the benefit of those around you. Knowing that it's unto the Lord. Right? Don't lose sight of that. He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even to death on a cross. For this reason God highly exalted Him and gave Him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is coming a day where everyone will be forced to confess that. It's much better to do it by your choice. Not because you have to, but because you love Him and want to. So look here, he, 
his attitude was one of a slave. He didn't come, he didn't seek his own, he didn't have his own agenda, none of that. He just did what the Father told him to do. He only acted on what he saw the Father do. And, and then even at one point he comes into the Garden of Gethsemane and he's like, man, Dad, is there any other way? Because I really don't want to go on with this. But he knows what, what God wants, right? And so he humbles himself and submits himself even to the point of, all right, all right, Dad, I'll do it your way. Nevertheless, your will be done. That's what that means. I'll do it your way, Lord, Father. And so he submits himself to what God is asking him to do. What is he acting like? A love slave. Like, you know what? It's not for my benefit. I'm just going to serve you, empty my... In fact, John tells us that he, he went to the cross not because he loved you and me, but because he loved the Father. Did you know that? Now, he loved you and me, in fact, there's plenty of scriptures that tell us that. But his motivation was his love for God the Father. Right? Go to, to uh, Romans chapter 8. Why am I talking about all of this? Because when we're going to talk about finances in a little bit here, that your money, your offerings, the things that you're doing for the kingdom, they are a significant portion of who you are. Of it, it represents your time. It represents all these things about you, your effort, your energy, your sweat, right? And so it represents a lot of things for you, and it's not a trivial thing of what we've done. Let's just keep our heart right before the Lord on why we're doing it, Right? And as we go forward setting our faith that, Lord, we love you. That we're not here to take vacations. There's nothing wrong with vacation. I think everyone needs to take them. Right? But that's not our purpose. We're not here to, to have nice cars and huge houses and fast airplanes and all those things. That's not why we're here. We're here to serve Him, and in any way that we can, if those houses, cars, and airplanes will serve Him, then awesome, right? But that's not our goal. Let me just make it another way. If you serve the Lord because you want His blessings, you're a hireling. Because He will bless you. He'll bless you amazingly. As you give finances to the Lord, there is promise after promise in the Scripture that He will pour it back to you. The law of sowing and reaping is plain and simple works. And there's not a person on this face of this earth that doesn't believe in the law of sowing and reaping. Oh, some will say they don't in finances, but they believe in the law of sowing and reaping. Because we just look out and we see all the vegetation. Someone planted a seed somewhere. We know that it grew, right? Sowing and reaping. Well, it works that way with everything, not just vegetation. It works that way with kindness. You want to reap kindness? Sow it. You want to reap honor? Sow it. On and on and on. Romans 8. Did you find it? Verse 15. Paul says, You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. See, bond slaves have to deal with fear. Maybe they'll get beat. Maybe they'll be mistreated. Maybe, maybe, maybe. You know, all the maybes. Maybe I'll be sold off from my family. So there's all this fear involved with a slavery that is against your will. Right? That's not the kind of slavery we're in. We're there because we chose to be. So, 
you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. Co-heirs with Christ. If you read Isaiah, if you read Daniel, if you read um, Revelations, you'll see some of the things that Jesus is going to inherit. And you and I are co-heirs with that. Right? And so that's, that's amazing that God the Father would give us this relationship and say, you know what? You're not just in a business transaction with me, but you're, you're my kids. You're my children. And, and you're going to inherit what I have. Go over to Luke chapter 12. And let's look at verse 35. Jesus is speaking here. 12.35 in the Gospel of Luke. He says, Be ready for service. And have your lamps lit. So we're to be ready to serve each other. And by serving each other, we're serving the Lord, right? Did you know that you can, you can shine the Lord's shoes? You can vacuum the Lord's floor? Did you know that you can wash the Lord's car? Or fill up the Lord's gas tank? You can even take the Lord out to eat. So be ready for service. And have your lamps lit. You are like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Blessed will be those slaves the master finds alert when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will get ready, have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. So the attitude the slave is supposed to have is, hey, this is, this is just our duty. We're, we love it. We, we want to do this. This is the least of what's required of us. And then the Lord comes in and goes, no, no, no. Now you sit down. Remember when Jesus washed their feet? He said the least would be the greatest. And if you, the one that wants to be the greatest should be a servant. Slave is the word of all. <laughs> Let's say this. I love, I love. slavery. That just doesn't sit right in American culture in this day and age, does it? You have to have the right mindset to be able to say something like that. Not, not the forced kind of slavery. All right, verse 37, I had just read that. He's going to come in and serve them. Let's read verse 38 yet. If he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, blessed are those servants. What does that mean? Why is that verse there? It means when He comes when it's inconvenient for you. Because see, not all service is convenient. Sometimes it takes effort, deliberate effort, to go and do a service for someone, right? And it's not like it's fun. I mean, some people might like serving in the nursery or you know, where the children need diapers changed and cry. I mean, that would not be my idea of fun, right? Maybe it is for some people, but I think most people serve because they, they love people and they love the Lord, not because they like changing poopy diapers, right? I mean, if you have a poopy diaper fetish, you can come up to the altar call and we'll cast that out of you, right? 
you guys needed to smile a little bit. If I could have some ushers um, pass these out. If you're a husband and wife sitting together, take, uh, take just one of them. No, these are different than those. And um, if you're not sitting together, then feel free. I think there's maybe like 80 copies there. And um, I would like for you to, I want to talk about some things of what we've done, where we've been. And while he's passing those out, I want to uh, share some statistics with you. Of churches nationwide in the United States, the average ranges from 2% to 15% of a church's gross budget that goes to outreach. 2% to 15%. That's the range. The average is 11%. 11% of a church's budget goes to outreach. And the reason I'm I'm saying that to you is because in a moment you'll understand why as we go through the numbers. If you would, I I would like to have your attention. Don't, Don't read through the paper yet. Um, because I want you to hear what I'm saying, and then together we'll go through it line by line. The other, other thing is, is, did you know that only 9% of churches teach on finances weekly? 9% of churches in the United States teach on giving on a weekly basis. And the statistics that I was reading, it was funny to me, because it said that most of those 9% will usually you know, talk about promises of blessings and, and they're theologically loose churches. So we would fall into that category of being theologically loose because we take the Word of God literal. Be that as it may, it made me smile. Now here's the interesting thing. Of the 9% of churches that teach on finances every week, 90% of that group experiences financial growth year after year after year. So it's just interesting that those who teach on God blessing them actually experience His blessings. You know, faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of God. That's why I have Pastor Jen teach you every week on giving, on sowing, on receiving, that your faith stays sharp and strong in that area because you need it. You're called to do so much more than just take care of you and your four, aren't you? You know, there's a whole world that needs us. Almost half of all churches in the U.S. teach on it only once a year or less. 43% of churches teach on it quarterly to once a month. And of those that teach once a month, they experience, 73% of that group experiences growth on an annual basis. And it just goes down from there. The less they teach on it, the less growth they experience. Until you get to the ones that are teaching on it once or less times a year, they actually are in the negative category. The Word of God works, John, where is he? When you work it, work it, work it. There's a song like that that he wrote. If you're new here with us, sometimes we sing it. All right, if you all have the paper, let's start up at the top. CWI, if you're new with us tonight, CWI means Church of the Word International. It's just short for our name. CWI gave to missions, alms, etc., everything that's lumped in with missions and alms, a total amount of $261,474 in the last calendar year. The year before that was $169,000. So you can see we significantly increased that. 
So almost $100,000. The, uh, the Benevolent Alms Member Support, that amount was $37,000. And the prior year was twenty-three. I mean $37,132. Look at the paper. I'm just rounding numbers off. The prior year was $23,000 and change. To missions, guest ministers, or special giving projects, you know, like last, in this last year we did a lot of special giving projects for um, the Mirabellas, for example, in, in Iraq. Um, that amount came to $224,342. The prior year was $145,000. This amount represents slightly more than 43% of CWI's gross revenue during the year from July to July. 43% went into those categories. The national average is 11%. So that can give you an idea of the caliber of believer that you're sitting next to. All right, let's look at uh, the next part here. Um, Okay, so just for... uh, Actually, I'll, I'll say that a little bit later. Of, of the total above, the 261 at the top of the page, 261000 of that total, $182,217 came in as a designated for missions, alms, ministers, those kind of offerings. Now, our faith promise last year that we had all wrote down on, on a paper what we felt like we could, the Lord was speaking to us or ministering in our heart to, to believe for was 249000 now, we didn't, that did not come in in designated funds, but we as a church, just taking out of the normal offerings and tithes that come into this house, we gave an additional $79,257 from the general fund to missions. So, those two numbers together, we surpassed, right, what we had hoped together to do at the 249, because together it was 261000 Proverbs 11.25 says that the generous will prosper and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. It's one of those theological loose (laughs) promises that I believe with all my heart. When you look down below, it says a list of missionaries, ministries, and individuals doing missions work that CWI supported financially. And it lists on the back of the page is also a long list. I tried to, everyone that um, I knew where they were working, I tried to put the country or locations where they're at or where they're working. And um, those that received alms, of course, we did not list. All right, Paul, if you would um, pass out the other paper you have. And uh, again, husbands and wives, if you're sitting together, um, use, use one because you can do it together. Or, I mean, if you want to do two separate ones, one for each of you, that's fine. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, and this paper here is what we call our faith promise. And I'll explain how it all works to you here in a moment. I once saw this saying that said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Right? So we are here as representatives of our Father in Heaven. The main thing is, is we are demonstrating who He is in the earth. And so let's not lose sight of this is our purpose. 
This is our destiny. This is who we are. If I could have your attention, we'll go through this paper too, line by line in a little bit. I want to just answer a few questions that maybe come up in your mind. What in the world are we trying to do? What are we all about? What's all the flags on the wall? What, you know, why are we so mission-minded? Well, we believe with all our heart that missions begins outside those doors the moment you step outside. It's not just some other country, right? We live in our own mission field. We also reach out into other mission fields. But there's foreign missions, there's local missions. Well, what we are about is the work of the kingdom, right? And so what are we trying to do? We're simply trying to establish the kingdom of God everywhere we go as we go. Do not wait to be a missionary until you get to a foreign land. Now, on the way, you just met a whole bunch of people that need to know. So, to put it in a nutshell, to accomplish the Great Commission, right? That, that's what it's about for us. That's, why, that's what, what we're trying to do, accomplish the Great Commission. How are we planning to accomplish the Great Commission? Because that's a pretty big thing, right? Go into all the world, preach the gospel to the whole creation. I saw some really interesting statistics, and I probably shouldn't even start this sentence because I can't remember the numbers now. Today I was reading some statistics about and at 100 AD, how many people there were for every believer on the planet. The ratio. And it was massive, of course, because Christianity was only 100 years old at that point. Versus to where we are today, I mean like, that gap has just, just like, gotten much, much, much smaller. Instead of thousands to one, now we're like at 369 people to one believer. The percentage of people on the earth that have not heard is still great because there's billions of people, but the percentage is much smaller than it used to be. So the church is making and gaining ground. Unfortunately, for many churches, there's a lot of humanitarian work that's being done and people are ending up being sent to hell happy, full, and healthy but not having heard the gospel. So here in this house, we never want to be guilty of that. With whatever good we do in a humanitarian way, we use that as simply opening a door for them to hear the gospel. And we want to make sure that they have that opportunity when we go in and bless them with financial or material help or health or whatever it is. So how are we going to accomplish this? Well, one of the ways, there's many ways, but in meetings just like this, right? Bring your neighbor, bring those that don't believe. Bring them into the house. Let them experience the anointing of God, the love of God in a, situ in a, in a place like this. So we're going to have church meetings. We're going to have home group meetings. We have local outreach like City Gate and prison ministry and, and politically we're involved bringing change to in a righteous way. You know, there's alms that we do here locally. There's church planting on the U.S. side that we're stepping out into. And of course, then there's worldwide outreach. We have people in Turkey. We have people in Iraq. We have people in many places where you see these flags. People that we are supporting, right, and, and, and being a part of their work. So that's how we plan to accomplish the Great Commission. And then finally, the third question is, why do we, why, why? Why do we bother? Why do we go to the trouble? 
And here's your why. Because we love God, right? This is plain and simple. We love Him because He first loved us. And because we love Him, we want other people to also come into His favor like what we've experienced. And we want Him, the Father, to just have His way in all things. I know I'm looking forward to, and I'm sure that you are too, and hearing Him say, well done, good and faithful slave. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Our vision, if you look at our website, you'll see it, and maybe some other materials available in the back, but our vision is expressed through the use of the word TEAM. And we use it as an acronym, TEAM. The T stands for transform, the E stands for equip, the A is accountability, and the M is mobilize. And basically, we'll just, I'll just read this to you. We expect that people's lives are going to be transformed in this house through the anointed ministry of God's Word, through the power of the Holy Spirit and His gifts, and through a growing faith that brings total victory in every area of your life. Transformation. We are equipped, right, to fulfill our divine purpose as we take our place serving in His kingdom. This is not my church. It's not Dale's church. It's not your church. It's His church, right? I'm an under-shepherd here. You're a sheep here. But we all belong to Him. We're the sheep of His pastures. And every member here is a vital part of what God is accomplishing in and through our midst. And here at Church of the Word, we hold ourselves, right? Because we judge ourselves. And each other. You know that whole part about remove the beam, the big log out of your own eye so that you can see clearly to help your brother get the tiny little speck of dirt in his eye? Sometimes we, we think, oh, I'm just supposed to worry about myself and no one else. Well, no, you shouldn't worry at all. But aside from that, you should deal with your stuff so that you can help them deal with theirs. The whole point of that passage wasn't to not judge. The whole point was to judge correctly and help benefit them. Again, be a slave, right? All right. So, talking about being accountable. We hold ourselves and each other accountable to God's written Word. We are not theologically loose in this house. And to the direction He gives us by His Spirit, both corporately and individually. There are calls and gifts of God on you as individuals, on us as a group. We are not standing still any longer. He has mobilized us to a great task, would be the Great Commission. The law of the Spirit of life compels us to minister. God has put something in our heart to draw us together, and we are ready to rise up to the challenge. All right, if you have the annual mission, alms, faith, promise paper in your hands. I will explain how this works. The first line says, please pray about this decision before completing. So we're going to give you a moment to do that in a little bit. We'll watch, we'll have a video playing, and then you can take some time and pray and hear from the Lord. It says, as God enables me. Everyone say that. As God enables me. Alright, so this is not by, this is as 
He is empowering you. This is not by looking at your paycheck and at what you have available to you and what can I do in my strength. No, this is as God enables me, I make a faith promise. So what is a faith promise? A faith promise is, is you believing that I could accomplish X amount with God's help. That's what a faith promise is. So I make a faith promise for missions or alms at CWI in the coming year of August 2022 to July 2023. In the total amount of, and that's the space that you would write the total amount for the whole year that you believe the Lord is putting in your heart to sow into missions. Now do not include in this number your tithe. Okay? Now, some of your tithe will go to missions. As you already know, we put almost $80,000 of the tithe that you brought to this house into missions. But, don't include that number. This is above and beyond what you tithe on. This is a faith promise between you and God, not between you and man. No one will hold you accountable to what you've written on this paper besides you and God. It's between you two. Nobody else is looking to see what you wrote down as far as whose name was on the paper. Then the next line, it says to be given monthly or weekly or as a one-time gift. So you can say, I want to give it once a month, every month, last weekend of the month, we collect our missions offering. So you can bring it to that one. Um, Just make sure you always designate where you want it to go. If there's no designation on it, it'll just go to our general mission fund and get dispersed from there. If there's a designation on it, then 100% of it goes to wherever you have designated it to go. Or you can do it weekly. Any offering. Anytime the tithe basket goes by, you can drop in a check or designate funds to a mission somewhere and it'll still go there. Even if it wasn't in the official once a month missions offering. It makes accounting easier if you hold it until the missions offering when we're doing a whole bunch of those kind of transactions. But... It doesn't matter. In the end, if you, if, if you can't get it in that one and you want to do it weekly, that's fine. Or maybe you say, I want to do, just do one lump sum, one-time gift, so you can X those boxes whichever, whichever way that you are believing to accomplish it. If you write something down on this card that your flesh is super comfortable with, God probably didn't have much to do with it. How many think Peter was comfortable walking on the water? That's evident by what happened, especially once his focus got onto the wrong thing, right? So usually when God asks us to do something, then it's an uncomfortableness that comes with it to our flesh. Not to our spirit, but to our flesh. Right now, there's so many things that I'm believing God for in this house. Now my flesh is going, are you nuts? (laughs) But God, right? All things are possible with Him. What God tells you will usually make your flesh pretty uncomfortable. Remember, this is a faith promise that is solely between you and the Lord as He enables you, not as you enable yourself. As He enables you. This is not between you and man. And then we encourage you to take ownership of the commitment by signing your name. Now, your name doesn't need to be legible. No one's looking to see who signed the name. What we do want to do is collect the paper after you've filled it out because we want to add up the total amount, the annual amount, right? And then together present that. Because like I did earlier, last year we thought that together we were believing God for $249,000 to be given to missions and alms. 
But in the end, we actually did 261,000 to that, right? So that's why we like to add all the papers up and say, okay, here's the total that we collectively are believing God together to do. And then after that, that's added up, we throw the papers away. So if you want to have a copy of it, take out your smartphone and take a photo of it, and then you'll have record of what you had actually written down. Because we're not going to sort through the papers trying to look for your name because we're not wanting to see everyone else's name, right? Because this is between you and the Lord, not between you and someone here at Church of the Word. And then get ready for what the Lord's going to do through you and I. You know, every year we've been just increasing and increasing and increasing. We are hundreds of thousands of dollars away from where we started the first year in this. And this has been our building program. You know, if we make the kingdom of God our business, and then He'll take care of what we need. And so are we saving funds for a building? Yeah, sure we are. And sometimes some of you actually give designated funds to a building fund. And we're believing God to be able to buy a building, right? And so, again, if we want to increase and see some of these things happen... By the way, some of... Because this is also an expense. Some of you were wondering, asked me this week, hey, so what's the end game? Why did you get your pilot's license? And, and what's the Lord saying? Why did you do that? And to which I immediately asked the question, well, were you not here last weekend? And they said, no. Oh, makes sense why you'd ask then, right? So... Last weekend, I explained in detail from the beginning of the sermon to the end of the sermon. At the beginning, I talked about how the training went. At the end of the sermon, I explained why we're doing what we're doing and where I believe the Lord's taking us with it. So if you did not listen to that sermon, please go on and listen to last week. That way you are on the same page as us and understand where we are going and the whys. From the very beginning here at Church of the Word, Church of the Word was mandated with church planting, a word that was given to Apostle Dale and Prophet Bob Hawk when they were the pastors here, all the way back in Titusville. And so all these years later, we're beginning to see some of the things that were prophesied and spoken out then are now going to be coming to pass. And we're going to see churches planted up and down the East Coast. We're going to see outreach like we've not seen before. We're going to see growth in this house. We're going to send people out. But there's just going to be more people to fill in those seats. And then they'll get sent out. And because we are about the kingdom's business. Right? And not about our own. All right. I'm going to... Uh, they're going to play uh, something on the screen. And then over the next number of minutes, take some time... Silence your heart to the Lord and uh, see what He would minister and have you write down there. All right, if you would, um, just pass them, fold them, and then um, just pass them into the center and the ushers will come down the middle and pick them up. And once you have uh, all of those, Paul, bring those back up to me. We'll pray over those together. And then um, they're going to go add up the number while we worship. And at the end of worship, we'll be able to update you on what the collective number was that we are believing for together in the coming year. It has been a mission-filled week. We had VBS across the street at the campground. They had um, Wednesday night I ministered there. Uh, Troy had and Rebecca had invited me, and we spoke on missions there. And uh, now this... This tonight, we are looking at it 
more in depth. All right, let's pray. Father, we just lift up to you our offerings and what we are believing to accomplish and do in the next 12 months. And Father, I ask you that you would just cause what you've put in our heart to come to pass. Give us the wisdom that we need to be able to make the right steps at the right time to be able to accomplish what you've put in our heart. Father, I ask you for an increase and a preparation in our heart, in our wisdom, in our knowledge to be able to receive and to give as you have, as you have prompted us. And I thank you for this. I call all of you, all of these promises blessed in the name of Jesus and fulfilled in every way. And amen. Come and fill me again. Come and fill me Father, we just ask you right now to fill us new and afresh with your spirit. Father, that your presence would make all the difference for us tonight and in this coming year. Thank you, Lord, that you promise never to leave us nor forsake us and that you're always with us wherever we go. So, Father, I thank you for this. We commit our way to you. We commit this next year to you. Let's just say this together. Lord, I am submitted to you. So lord it over me. someone next to you with their hand up, go over to them and do what the Bible tells us to do. Is It says that we will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So look around, make sure there's no one with their hand up that doesn't have people there ministering to them. Father, we just thank you right now for the healing power that you have made available through Jesus Christ. And we just placed ourselves in agreement with you in your finished work. And I bind in the name of Jesus every sickness, every disease that would come against your body. Right now I bind it. I do not permit it in your flesh anymore. And we loose the healing power of God upon you and give you life and say, be healed in the mighty name of Jesus. Body function correctly and properly like it's supposed to. Be strong 
Organs be made new again. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, we receive it right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your healing. And thank you for your strength. I want to encourage you as we release the time for you to go downstairs and minister to each other. You see, it's not just about the food downstairs. But, but pro, poke your neighbor a little bit, right? As you're having conversation with them. Hey, is there anything you're believing God for? Is there anything I could believe with you for? Because, man, the prayer of unity just moves mountains. There's plenty of mountains in this house that need just moved, right? So, uh, so be, be a little probing and nosy in your conversations tonight. All right, one way we love God is we be nosy and ask each other the hard questions and believe with each other. All right? Be blessed as you go. You going to do the amount? Wait. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Thank you for reminding me. I knew there was something I was missing, but it just wouldn't come to my memory. There's a reason the Lord gives us each other, right? So, together, we at Church of the Word International, we have made a faith promise to the Lord as He enables us to do $251,340 in the next calendar year into missions and alms. Now, that number usually grows over the next two weeks because people that are not here find out about it and say, hey, we want to be a part of it. And so then, then it goes up from there. But we're starting at $251,000. Let's believe God to accomplish that together. I have a scripture for you to close because we already closed once, but... Sometimes like an airplane, you come in to land the plane and things just aren't quite right. So you do a go around. You take another run at it, right? So we did a go around. And as we come in for on final here, Proverbs 22.4 says this, Humility and the fear of the Lord results in health. I mean, in wealth. <laughs> health, wealth, yeah. Health and wealth. That is what it says, just not in that order. Let me read again. Maybe we're doing another go around. Humility, the fear of the Lord, results in wealth, honor, and life. There's no greater form of humility than the servanthood, the slave, being a slave like what we talked about tonight. So be that kind of person, a person that is in awe of the Lord. And as you do that, wealth, honor, and life will flow into you from many avenues in Jesus' name. All right, we are landed. You may... Oh, no, we're not. Yes. So my back was hurting. I'd say pretty good, more than... I mean, I, I never really have back pain, but the last three or four days, my back was hurting pretty good. And... Uh, so now I'm trying to make it hurt, and I, and I can't feel anything, so praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Awesome.
All right, now you are free to move about the cabin. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. Blessings on your life. Thank you so much for coming to Church of the Word International. Here as a family, this beautiful Saturday evening in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Amen. Love to encourage you in our worship time together. And, you know, we live as worshipers, but we get to do it together tonight in a corporate way and it's more special I can't explain it but it just is I'd like to show you something the Lord showed me uh, in Exodus 14 it says that the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore and Israel saw see what are we called to do we're, we're called to seek the Lord to taste and see that the Lord is good. They saw that the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians and the people feared or reverenced the Lord because of what they saw. And they believed the Lord. They put faith in this great God and his servant Moses. Then saying Moses and the children of Israel. So I want you to see this. Israel saw, they feared the Lord, reverenced the Lord, they believed in the Lord, and then they sang. See, out of, a, out of the overflow of a grateful heart comes the consciousness of God's love, His grace, and we can't help but praise Him. We just can't help but overflow with thank, thanksgiving. But this is the first recorded song in all of scripture right here in exodus 15 then sang moses and the children and he said i will sing unto the lord for he has triumphed gloriously the lord is my strength and song and he has become my salvation he is my god and i will prepare him in a habitation my father's god and i will exalt him See, Moses and the children saw the works of the Father and Jesus, what they did, and they just gave him all the glory. In verse 6, it says, Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, has dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thy excellency, thou has overthrown them, the enemy, that rose up against thee. That was an aha for me when I read this scripture. Uh -huh. Because the enemy, God takes it personal when the enemy comes against you. He takes it personal. He said, the enemy rose against me. Meaning, God speaking about himself. So when you are in relationship 
with the Lord, when the enemy comes against you, God takes it personal. And he is the one that triumphantly stands uh, there and fights your battle for you because you belong to him. And David so well said in Psalms 18, and honestly, I really recommend you read Psalms 18. It's just a great scripture, great psalm. David says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in which I will trust. He's my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy. He's so worthy to be praised. See, as much as God takes it personal, your relationship with him, we should take it very personal, our relationship with him. Is he your God, your buckler, your high tower? Is praise in your lips because of all that God is to you? Amen. Well, let's stand up together as the family of God. And let's sing unto the Lord because we have seen and taste the goodness of him. We believe in him. And now we can sing from our heart because of all that he is to us. Amen. Lord of Lords, you paid the price that each one of us could be forgiven of all our sins, that we could walk the walk as you laid out the example for each and every one of us to be a child of the living God, our Father who art in heaven. So we say yes. Yes, Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus. Yes, the living word. Yes to all that you have for us, Father. What else can we say to a wonderful, fabulous, good, and faithful Father? And to a Savior who laid his life down for each and every one of us. We say yes. Can we say that? Yes. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Are you blessed tonight? Do you know that we are one of the most blessed people on the face of the earth? We really, truly are. Do you believe that? I do too. <laughs> well, one way we love God, honor God, is by loving and honoring one another. So turn to your neighbor and just tell them, I'm so glad you're here. If they need anything, let ask them for prayer or anything else. We are family here tonight. Amen.
Well, good evening. Y'all are ahead of me this time. <laughs> I said y'all are ahead of me this time. A lot of times I'm inviting everybody to uh, sit down. This time, uh, yeah, it's all good. Well, we're excited to see you tonight. Welcome to Church of the Word International. If you're here for the very first time, can you raise your hand so we can acknowledge you? I see Jim Wolf in the crowd tonight. Can we just... <laughs> Glory to God. You, you know, Jim, we prayed for this day, the day that you would be back in with us, worshiping the Lord together. We're so glad that God's restoring you more and more every day. Good to see you. All right. Well, we're going to return the tithe to the Lord. So if you need a cash envelope for your giving, you can raise your hand. Uh, the ushers will bring you one. If you're giving by checks, you make them out to CWI or credit card. Please fill out all of the blanks. And you know, we've said this before, but tithing is an outward demonstration that I believe God is my source. And it's also demonstrating I put him first in my life. You know, it's an outward action that, that, that declares that. It's also one way we demonstrate honor to the Lord. Another way we demonstrate honor to the Lord is in our free will offerings. You know, giving offerings is part of worship. You see, it really is. Um, I want you to turn to uh, 2 Chronicles. We're going to see this illustrated in 2 Chronicles. Offering as part of worship um, in chapter 7. You know, just a, a side thought. One of the marks of a believer is a desire to worship God and to give to give to him. You know, I had a, a conversation recently with an unbeliever, and he, um, you know, this individual saw no need to tithe, no need to give offerings, had basically was, you know, saying he didn't have any intentions to do either one. And, you know, that's expected. He, he's not a believer. He, he's, you wouldn't expect a believer to have in his heart to worship the Lord, to give to the Lord. But all that to say is that is one of the marks of a believer to have it in our heart to worship, to want to worship and have it in your heart that you just want to give to the Lord and bless him. So um, where was I? Second Chronicles chapter seven. We are not of those that don't believe. We are believers, are we not? We have a relationship with the God, with our God, the only one true God. And so we have it in our hearts to worship. Well, here in 2 Chronicles 7, let me just tell you what's going on here. So Solomon had built this temple that his um, father David had had in his heart to build. He, he built it, and it's now finished, and they are going to dedicate this temple to the Lord. And so they're bringing in all the furnishings and all the different articles that go in the, um, in the temple, and then they're bringing in the Ark of the Covenant. And this is a very big deal to the people. And so they have this worship service. I mean, it is a shindig. They got uh, 120 priests sounding trumpets. They've got trumpeters and musicians and singers. And it says they were all in unison, raising their voices in praise to the Lord and singing, He is good and His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord 
filled the temple of God. Can you just envision that? What that would have been like? So then Solomon got up and he turned to the assembly, the people, all the assembly of Israel that was there, and he spoke a blessing to them and said different things. And then here he is standing before the altar of the Lord. And he kneels down before this platform. And he spreads out his hands to heaven and he begins to pray. I'm not in chapter 7 in case you were wondering. <laughs> I'm just taking a few wide sweeps here. So he's, he's on the platform, he's kneeling down, spreads out his hands to heaven, he starts to pray. And he says, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. And he just goes down the next uh, numerous verses here, just this beautiful prayer of just wholehearted love and devotion to the Lord. And, and it's, it's really beautiful. Now, chapter 7. Chapter 7. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 head of cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. I can't even grasp what that would look like. That many thousands of animals, much less sacrificing them. I mean, they all got to be killed. They all got to be dead and up on this all. Wow. And you know, that represented their money. That, that was their income. That was their worth. This is astronomical amount uh, that they were offering here this, uh, to the Lord. So the king and all the people dedicated the temple of God. The priests took their positions, as did the Levites with the Lord's musical instruments, which King David had made for praising the Lord. That's pretty cool. He made these instruments and which were used when he gave thanks, saying, His love endures forever. Such a reoccurring theme, this gratefulness about his love enduring forever. Opposite the Levites, the priests blew their trumpets, and all the Israelites were standing. Solomon consecrated the middle part of the courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord, and there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the fellowship offerings, because the bronze altar he had made could not hold the burnt offerings. I mean, that many... Animals, yeah. <laughs> Could not hold the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat portions. So Solomon observed the festival at that time for seven days. And all Israel with him, a vast assembly, people from Lebo, Hamath, to the Wadi of Egypt. On the eighth day they held an assembly, for they had celebrated the dedication of the altar for seven days. For seven days they celebrated the dedication of the altar where they would offer these sacrifices to the Lord. Like, 
and the festival for seven days more. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people to their homes. Now I want you to hear this, joyful and glad in heart for the good things the Lord had done for David and Solomon and for his people. I just wanting you to grasp this spirit here, this, you know, what's in the heart is shown outwardly. And do you think the Lord was pleased with this scene? You know, I mean, I can think of numerous scriptures for the fact that I know he was pleased. I mean, one that comes to mind is in 2 Corinthians where he says God loves a cheerful giver. And do you see this? Joyful and glad in heart. Freely. I just want to worship you, Lord. I just want to bless you. I just am glad about it. And that pleased the Lord. Well, we're going to return the tithe and any offerings we brought for the Lord as part of our worship. So let's pray over that. Oh, Lord, you are great, and you are good, and there is none besides you. There is none like you, none else that we could worship, no one else worthy of our worship. We just thank you and give you praise for your goodness, for your faithfulness to us, and we are glad to return the tithe. We are glad to give you first place in our life. So just thank you. Help us, Lord. Reveal to us how we can walk in more honor towards you. And Lord, I just thank you for your promises of provision. You're such a good provider. We know we can count on you. Any obstacle, any pressure we could come up against, you have the answer to it. So we just lay it down at your feet, and we thank you for the answer, and we thank you for the provision. In the name of Jesus, amen. The ushers can pass the baskets, and the people will give to the Lord. Wanted to mention the Heirs Luau coming up Sunday, August 14th. Please RSVP to Bree and her number's here in the bulletin. Um, I think they would like you to RSVP by 731, so the last day of July here, if you're planning to attend. Our summer picnic is coming up soon. That's going to be on August 28th. If you are planning to attend our summer picnic, please sign up. We have a sign-up sheet in the back. And I wanted to say thank you to, as all of you probably know, or most of you know, we just had our, um, our VBS this past week, and it was a smashing success. Thank, thanks to all of you that volunteered and to Kelly. So can we just give a round of applause for everyone? that helped, and for Kelly, you know, Kelly, Pastor Sid and I are so grateful that we have the kind of content um, presented to our kids that you bring every year, and such a great gift God's given you, and I just, I just love it. Thank you so much. We have so many amazing servants in this house that helped pull that off and served and I'm always you know just so humbled that I'm surrounded by so many amazing people and uh, Caleb it looks like you've shaved recently there's the big beard is gone huh oh that wasn't you Aiden okay wow didn't know Aiden could grow a beard like that anyway it is such an honor 
to be called or to be a part of a body of people that really takes seriously our future generation and are willing to pour out like that to them. So thank you very much for that. Thank you, Kelly. You know, the other night as, as the, uh, they were, the children were presenting their songs and, and verses and things to the parents, I just, I had this thought, and so Kelly, don't get a big head about it, but I was like, Kelly, she's a giant, and I'm not talking about outward size, I'm talking about the giant of our God who is in her, and uh, so thank you very much, yeah. Yeah.